0: Hello and welcome to Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is your weekly rundown for the latest top tech news from around the world delivered every Wednesday. On my show, you'll find a mix of the latest tech news from around the world, including emerging tech, privacy, cybersecurity, and more, including interviews with experts, innovators, and everyday tech tips to level up your life. Subscribe to Coffee & Code to be notified when episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at ashleycoffee underscore and on Instagram at ashleyrcoffee89. Thanks for listening and welcome to Coffee & Code. Today we have a special guest on today's episode of Coffee and Code, Mr. Jeremy Kaniski. Jeremy is a serial entrepreneur with successes in emerging tech and learning and development for over 15 years. Uh, Jeremy has built several companies focused on AR and VR for learning and education, including Zoo AR and Merge. He is educated in computer graphics and computer science. And with an early professional background in high-end visual effects, Jeremy mixes art with technology to create human-centered solutions that wow and amaze. With executive education at Harvard Business School and MIT, as well as being a former full-time professor, Jeremy brings a unique approach and perspective to his creative training and learning processes. Jeremy, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Ashley. Good to be here.
0: So um, for those of you don't know, uh, Jeremy and I are actually working on a project right now, which is how I got to know him. But Jeremy has a really interesting background in emerging tech and really – Um, Got into the scene at a very young age, so I'm excited for him to kind of talk through his background and his um, creative processes, how he got where he is, and maybe some pieces of advice for listeners that are interested in technology. But um, before we get started, do you want to kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself, Jeremy, aside from uh, this bio that I I read off?
1: Yeah, sure. That bio makes me sound way cooler um, (laughs) than I think I am. Uh, you, I think you got most of it there. You know, I've been working in, I always tell people I've never had a real job cause I've always kind of worked for either small startups or, um, you know, things that I didn't ever really consider work, which was, I, I think part of a philosophy I had when I was young and thinking of what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Um, but I think that mostly covered it. I ran a visual effects and, uh, advertising company for a long time. And that's where I really cut my teeth initially. Uh, and kind of sparked a lot of my early interest. And in, I, I don't know if sparked, but um, I, I guess the spark was already there, but kind of helped fan the flame of what I was doing in uh, computer graphics and VR, AR and, and all that kind of stuff. So we can talk about that at some point, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm curious though, just to kind of get a frame frame of reference here in the technology timeline, kind of can you give us some insight into maybe what year you kind of got into the the technology game?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I started actually as an I started a a free internship when I was younger, um, probably in 2004, 2003, 2004. And I was working for a visual effects company called Atomic Pictures in Texas here. And at the time in San Antonio, we had a lot. I live in San Antonio, Texas. We had a lot of uh hispanic advertising agencies here and so we were able to do a lot the the city was able to do a lot of the really high-end uh branded commercials for for really for for all the big fortune 50 companies around the world um that were trying to reach a hispanic market so we got to do some really cool stuff for procter and gamble and all kinds of you know um, coca-cola all kinds of big big brands um, but that were hispanic market and so I started working for a visual effects company that was doing work um, for a lot of those agencies at the time. And so, you know, like my first project ever, I think, was for Cheetos and got to work on this thing where we animated Chester the Cheetah and, and a bunch of kids in a cave, like trying to make a fire and make <laughs> spicy, uh, not spicy, sorry. Uh, Flaming Hot Cheetos.
0: Flamin' Hot Cheetos, the best.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of where I started. Two thousand three, two thousand four. Um, again, I was like an unpaid intern. I was starting college or about to go to college, um, and and I got an offer uh, to go to UT Austin, be a mechanical mm-hmm. engineer, and do all of that. And the agency I was working with said, "Hey, you know, if you stay here, we'll give you a a, a job while you go to college." And there was a college here that was teaching computer graphics. So it just kind of made sense for me to stay and, and, uh, and do that. So that's, that's what I did for a while. Um, I ended up, after I graduated, I had, after I, I went through, I worked there full time and then also went to college full time, which was pretty crazy for four years. Wow.
0: Um,
1: yeah. And, and by the time I graduated, I mean, I was pretty indispensable there. Um, ended up over the years, um, probably three or four years after that, ended up taking a, a pretty large ownership position in that company. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, launching new divisions in the in the company, a whole interactive division, doing a lot of ARVR stuff. Um, I was also doing a lot of the the visual effects animation stuff after uh, one of my pre- essentially my previous mentor left the company. Um, so pr- became pretty indispensable and, and ran with that till about 2016, and then uh, and then left that company. Went on to merge.
0: Wow! Can you um, tell us what you studied in college?
1: Yeah. Um, so my my undergraduate degree is in um, I don't know what exactly what it's called, but it's a it's a fine arts, degree, bachelor of fine arts degree uh, in computer graphics and and all of that. So it's like you know I was doing a lot of Unity development, early Unity development. Shit. I don't know if I was doing unity in college. I can't. I don't remember if I was doing unity in college. I think I was though. I think it had just come out like 2008, 2009. I kind of was goofing around with it. Um, The reason I'm confused is because shortly, like the year after I graduated, I started teaching at that university. Okay. And uh, yeah. And so I started teaching the unity classes. So I don't remember if I was teaching them and also learned in them or if I uh, (laughs) just ended up teaching them, but Yeah. So I was doing a lot of Unity stuff, but also a lot of uh, Maya and just traditional, you know, character animation, modeling, texturing, all that kind of stuff. So technically, um, I'm educated in how all that software works.
0: That's awesome. Learning it from the inside. So, Jeremy, you really became involved in emerging tech at a pretty young age. Um, So I want to hear more about what and who inspired you to really dive into this field.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the reason I I took that internship when I was still a senior, I mean, 2003, 2004, I was like a senior in high school, right? So um, part of that was, you know, I had a, I I was, well, I had a pretty, I had a great high school teacher that really uh, embraced my inability to um, do things at the speed of everyone else and always wanting to like read ahead in the book and those kinds of things. Um, And so I I had a great teacher there in in computer. We had this kind of computer graphics class in high school, senior year of high school. Um, And so she introduced me to an organization called SIGGRAPH. And so I got pretty involved with SIGGRAPH. SIGGRAPH is the special interest group. It's uh, ACM, the Association for Computing Machinery's special interest group on computer graphics and interactive techniques or something. And it's really like the worldwide place where anyone who's doing any kind of uh, real research in computer graphics, publishes papers. It's all peer review, that kind of thing. It, it's like the place where everyone goes. Um, and they hold a yearly conference um, kind of all over the world, really East Coast. It kind of bounces around the U, the U.S. and and parts of Canada. Um, and so I got involved in that early on as a what's called a student volunteer. They have a student volunteer program that I participated in. Um, and so I started doing that. I got involved in their emerging technologies group um, and a few of their other few of their other groups and so um, that really I think opened my eyes to like what people were doing around the world you know even though I was going to college in, in Texas you know I was able to meet people that were at, at MIT and Georgia Tech and all these really cool places doing all kinds of really amazing research and really cool things And so I think that for me was um, cool to, to meet those people and see that uh, that they were working on some really cool stuff and I wanted to work on that kind of cool stuff too.
0: That's awesome. I feel like <clears throat> some college students don't realize the value in opportunities like that, even if it is a volunteer position or you know an unpaid internship. I think those sometimes where the opportunities happen and where you can learn the most of, and especially from industry experts at SIGGRAPH. That's pretty pretty amazing at such a young age.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like in two thousand seven was it two thousand seven? I was proud. I don't know how old I was, but you know, I was. Couple of years into college, and uh, I was volunteering at the Emerging Technologies Group, and um, you know, one of the guys I worked for for two days straight was uh, one of the guys who invented the the Power Glove, right? Wow, the Nintendo Power Glove, and
0: that's amazing.
1: He, yeah, and he had invent and I, what I was working with him, th- uh, what I was doing there that week was, you know, he had invented this like stereoscopic microscope, and so you could basically look into a microscope and see all this stuff like essentially in three D and. Um, I think he was like live streaming it also to some, I, I don't remember exactly what the the whole concept was anymore, but, um, you know, being able to work with people of that caliber and meet those kind of people was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Isn't there a Netflix documentary on that, on the power glove?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's part of high score or what it is, but yeah, I've, I've heard that there was, I haven't seen it.
0: I haven't either, but it's on my watch list. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting because I feel like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like about that time that you were getting involved in SIGGRAPH around 2007, that was kind of like the, the starting point of a lot of re-emergence of emerging tech, like VR coming back around for, for, you know, more ado- wide ado- adoption. And then, you know, technology was accelerating really rapidly right around that point. Cause that's what, two years? No, 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 no. That's about a year when the year the iPhone came out.
1: Right. Yeah, it was essentially yeah i had started volunteering a few years before that but um but yeah 2007 was when the iphone came out and it was also siggraph i think it was 2008 but i i yeah i think it was probably 2008 that some that a friend of mine at siggraph showed me this stuff called augmented reality and they showed oh. me a video of like I, again I, i'm trying to remember exactly what it was but i feel like there was like some there was a, a video capture of like somebody just recording a snow field or something right and then all these like little robots popped out of the snow and all this kind of stuff. And so that for me was like, um, it it blew my mind. I was like, like, wait, 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 how did you do that? That doesn't make any sense. You know, like it was all real time. And like the idea of at that point, 2008, you know, I had been working in, in, in the industry for about three years. And so I kind of knew what was possible on the, on the commercial television side and like how long that would take to, to animate that and render it. And I know that you could make something like that look real, um, but to do it in real time, like on a, on a camera and like, it just, yeah, it totally blew my mind. So. I remember that pretty vividly from 2008. <laughs> that's
0: an awesome technology memory. I feel like we at at our age have those those key points in our lifetime that you know we'll look back on and you know seem like old, ancient, wise ones that saw the 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 cool stuff first and kind of how that's going. That's really neat.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people, um, especially nowadays, I would say post 2013 you know, got into this kind of stuff through virtual reality first. It's like Oculus had had come out in like 2012 on Kickstarter. And mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, they started building their headsets and things like that. So by 2013, people were getting into VR. And then after, you know, the curious types, after they're in VR for a while, then they start getting interested in augmented reality and, and what that's all about. And, um, you know, the, the two fields are pretty closely related. And for me though, it was actually the opposite. I got started in augmented reality in two thousand After I saw that video, I was like, "All right, I got to figure out how this is done and, and how I can build cool things like this." And so, you know, I started building AR stuff from two thousand eight till till two thousand twelve, and then the VR stuff started coming out. And to be honest, I wasn't even super interested in the VR stuff. I I just didn't think it was there. I didn't think it was good enough. I didn't. I, I thought it was cool, but I was like, you know, what's the application here? I don't see an mm-hmm. application immediately whereas augmented reality had that application. So, so that's why we started like, not to jump too far ahead here, but that's why we started like the Zoo AR company and those kinds of things, because AR just had such a practical application in 2012. And, um, and then, you know, little did we know we were still seven years, eight years too early.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I feel like that's a good segue about, um, I'm going to, I want to hear a little bit more about your time at Merge and Zoo AR, and maybe give a little bit of background of what those companies are and what you specialized in while you were working there, and maybe some takeaways.
1: Yeah, sure. So let me kind of tell you where, like, what kind of led to all of that, and and really what it was is Coors Light was one of our clients, and we were building, uh, you know, we were building some spots for Coors and um in Mexico and um. Well, what happened? I'm trying to remember. Essentially what we were asked to do is um, we were building a spot around uh, some big football game or some football tournament or the World Cup, or I don't remember exactly what it was. And I had this idea and I said, why don't we, I said, what if we scan? And so again, I was playing again with AR early. This is 2011. And I was like, "You know, what if we could scan a six pack of Coors Light? And instead of seeing the Coors Light bottles, you saw the soccer trophy, because the soccer trophy is a tall, thin, vertical trophy type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what if the soccer trophy popped into the into the six pack instead of the Coors Light? And so at the time, Vuforia was, uh, maybe this was 2012 by then, I can't remember exactly. Oh, it Vuforia. Is. But Vuforia was brand new. It had just started, they had just started building some real basic image recognition. And so we had built, we, we basically used that and we built what what eventually became kind of their multi-target system. And we built this multi-target that allowed you to scan any of the four sides of the Coors Light can, uh, excuse me, the Coors Light box. And it would put these uh, animated trophies would then grow and pop out and things like that. And so we showed that to Coors Light and they thought it was awesome. They just didn't really know how to activate it. There wasn't a lot of people with smartphones. Downloading an app was a big deal. It still is even a big deal. And so we were trying to, it was originally built so that I could try, we could try to sell it to other advertisers, agencies, things like that. Um, but again, we were just too early. And so one summer came along and summers in the advertising world for us were always slow. And so I said, you know, what else could we work on? What could we goof around with? And one of our customers was also the local zoo. Mm. And so what we said was, you know, what if we built, what, what if, and, and for me going to the zoo was always kind of depressing. I always saw like animals like sleeping and not. They didn't look like they were having a great time. And so for me, like, I'm like, what am I really learning here? I'm just looking at what could be a stuffed animal sitting in the corner and I'm reading a plaque, not super interesting. So we had this idea of like, what if we could, you know, the the initial idea, which of course wasn't super possible at the time was like, what if you could scan the enclosure and that animal came to life, ran around did all kinds of crazy cool stuff. Um, and so that was kind of the original concept. It, it eventually became this thing where, well, what if you just scan the sign, an animated animal popped up and you could see that animal do things that they would not normally do in the zoo but they might actually do in real life so that's kind of where this the idea for for zoo ar popped up and we started building that Um, we built a lot of animals we built a lot of dinosaurs Um, and so we kind of we distributed that Um, we we made a a pretty we had a pretty cool partnership with um, a couple different dinosaur uh, animatronic dinosaur companies Mm -hmm. and through that we got into a lot of zoos a lot of big museums Um, and so we were able to kind of grow it that way um, by selling it alongside of, of other, uh, what I'll call like edutainment exhibits and things like that. Um, so we did that for a while. And then, uh, at a, at a certain point, it just, again, was, I think a little too early and a little, um, there were bigger opportunities in other areas. And so, um, I was without, I'm, I'm trying to think how to word this essentially, um, you know, as a partner at that company, uh, it, at ZooAR and the company and the other company that I was with at the time, um, you know, we were kind of heading in different directions, so to speak. The partners were, and so I left and uh, joined Merge, and uh, and then we started building all the crazy cool stuff we built at Merge.
0: That's awesome. I I think I saw one of those dinosaurs that you mentioned at the Science Museum in Oklahoma um, using an Xbox Kinect sensor to sense motion as it was approaching. So it could detect whether or not it was a child or an adult, and the responses were different based on that data input. I think that was a part of of Zoo AR.
1: I don't know that we we did build a couple Kinect ones, but they were more like flying exhibits where you could uh, stand in front of it and fly around like a pterosaur or fly like a. You know these different types of uh, flying lizards and things like that. Um, so maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so with Merge, they're still currently selling um, their their headsets. I think I saw them on Amazon's uh, small business gifts list.
1: Yeah, probably they do a pretty good job of uh, of staying active and and moving their moving their stuff. The you know kind of, I I left Merge a little over a year ago. Um, and so I don't know exactly like what the strategy is right now or what, what they're working on, but I mean, I think mostly what they're doing is selling into education. Mm -hmm. Um, but merge has a ton of cool products that, you know, before education, they were a consumer products company and selling to just general consumers and kids and, and kids of all ages, I should say. Um, and so they have a variety of, of cool products uh, that you can buy.
0: Yeah, I think I first heard of Merge um, back in 2018 when I was uh, working at OU as an emerging tech librarian. And uh, Dr. Cullen, she's a professor. She was a professor at OU and she used Merge in a couple of her classrooms. So I heard about you before I knew who you were. Life comes full circle.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, Dr. Cullen's awesome. She was a big early advocate for Merge and really helped us, them, uh, get a lot of things done in, in the education space for sure.
0: Yeah, she's just a great educational advocate for technology in general. We need more people like her. Yeah. Um, so th- that's a great segue into my next question here. So um, kind of between Merge and Zoo AR, and even currently, what are some past projects um, that you're most proud of?
1: Oh, man, that's a hard question. Um, I mean, the Zoo stuff was cool, right? Like being able to distribute the same application that's really educational, really fun. Everybody loved it. Well. I think most people. I think we got a couple one stars. <laughs> <laughs> it's normal so for somebody that had a twelve year old flip phone that couldn't get it to work.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but uh, you know that was a really cool project, and that was it, it rewarding and more than just financially, right? It was a cool educational product, and um, seeing people use it and learn from it and things like that was was exciting. Um, the work we did at merge was really great. And the work merge is even doing today is really great. Um, the merge Cube's awesome. If you've ever played with it and seen some of the, the apps that the team built, um, most of the team is still there at merge, um, th- that actually built the cube. And so, you know, the, the apps that they built that we built early on, the apps that they're still building today are, are just really, really fantastic. And, um, Super proud of all the work that we did there, and all the work that they that they're, the team is still doing there. Um, I'm a big fan of Merge still.
0: That's good. That's good. And I feel like between ZooAR AR and Merge, this was both. These are both good examples of tech for good. So you know, I feel like Merge helps reduce the barrier to access for technology like this for kids in the classroom, people yeah. to, to experience that, which is really important. Uh, but also with zoo AR, the ability to help educate and not necessarily use technology as a barrier to your experience, but kind of, you know, we might say augment the experience, yeah. um, there, but that's really cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you know, I don't know, there's obviously nothing fortunate about COVID, but, um, you know, I think I think Merge has kind of been in a pretty good place to be able to take advantage of the fact that kids are at home, the fact that kids can't get in front of their, their teachers necessarily all the time. Um, and so being able to have something like the Merge Cube and the headset and things like that and the the big library of educational apps and everything that they've built already um, to have kids have access to that's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I can't imagine having that if I was a kid. It would just be right. would been great.
0: It's a big upgrade from, you know, old school Etch-a-Sketches.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, again, (laughs) like, like when we were building the Merge Cube and building all the apps for that, again, we had originally built consumer like games and fun apps and, and all of that. Uh, Kevin, Kevin's team at Steelhouse had built some really fun, uh, a variety of fun, dorky, quirky, all kinds of apps for us too. And, um, so so playing with those, I mean, you know, we take it for granted because we built that initially, I think, in 2016, uh, maybe 2000, I guess early 2017 is when we started working on the cube. Um, so by that time, you know, we had been doing AR, our, me and a couple of my core teammates that we had been doing AR for almost 10 years. And so I think we took it a little for granted, but you always have to remember, like, back to that 2008 experience when I first saw it. Like when kids are first seeing this, I'm I'm sure it's impressive, you know.
0: For sure. And you never know when you're inspiring the next, you know, innovator, inventor. I think the, the current generation of kids are going to grow up and just have an insane technology landscape more so than, you know, what we grew up in knowing and seeing and having access to.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like that whole uh, Isaac Newton quote, right?
0: Like, yes.
1: Who, who knows like all the things that it's going to inspire in them.
0: Especially with COVID, like there are times that I kind of sit back and think, you know, I'm curious to see what inventions and innovations will come out of this year during lockdown and us being forced to really adapt and deal with ambiguity in these times. It's interesting to see how that will have an impact on the future of technology.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, So, Jeremy, as the founder and CEO of XR Global Services, tell us what you're currently working on or what you can share that you're working on.
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I told you that I didn't think VR was that cool when it first was coming out in 2012 and 13. Um, But most of what we're doing right now is all uh, virtual reality stuff. Um, And there's really a couple reasons for that. Uh, so, so essentially, sorry, we're focusing really on on VR training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're doing a lot of work for in the energy sector. We're doing work in um, warehousing logistics type, uh, type things. And we're really basically trying to help people learn how to do their jobs better and also provide employers, um, trainers, things like that, instructors, Um, with better data on what it is that people are doing well, where it is that they're failing, things like that. Um, And so, but really all of this comes more from a position of, you know, you made a comment earlier about ZooAR and Merge kind of being this like technology for good type thing. Um, And the reason we're back in virtual reality or the reason I'm building a VR company right now um, is because I'm totally doing this for the money.
0: (laughs) there's no shame in that
1: there's a big opportunity right now and vr really is one of the best ways to do a lot of the things we're doing Mm -hmm. um you know you and i are working on a project right now that i won't talk too much about but the ability to teach people to to um perform a task uh assemble or disassemble objects um things that are that that are Very hands-on, that are very spatial, that are you know have all these qualities of like real-world tasks that that people have to do that you can't just read a book uh, to learn how to do. All these things that are experiential, Um, VR is like really one of the best ways to do that. And the technology is just really, really good right now. The Quest is is a great piece of hardware. Um, The the idea that you can just like fit this thing in your backpack, you can throw it on, map out a space with the Guardian system really quickly and get in and learn something is just really cool. And so we see uh, big companies wanting to use this more and more and more and more. And so really we're, we are, it's kind of a culmination of we're experts in VR and AR we're experts in learning and and building educational and learning programs. We've been doing that for 10 years also. Um, I'm also, uh, you know, moonlighting, I moonlight as an educator. And so Really, this is kind of just like a perfect culmination of a lot of the things I've been working on the last 15 years. And so that's why we're here. I say I'm in it for the money. It's, uh, of course, of course, I'm in it for the money. But, you know, it's also a culmination and strategic position of wh- what I've been building for the last 15 years.
0: So would you say you've really followed your passions with technology and creativity and innovation and you know, computer graphics and it's kind of naturally melded into these experiences that you've, you've created for yourself?
1: For sure. I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of an intellectually curious person. Like that's, that's probably the number one thing that leads me in different directions. Um, and then, I mean, clearly, you know, I wish I could tell you actually that I had some like grand plan when I was in, when I was in high school or college, but, um, if anything, I think it shows that there's definitely some sort of guiding thing that I'm consistently attached to either with tech or, or education or something like that. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. I you know. I think it's I think people need to hear that it's not always about having a plan necessarily and I don't think it's I don't think society should should tell high school students that they have to have a life plan at 18. That's so young. Yeah. <laughs> um sure. even even in college, I mean, oh, my goodness, one of my mentor actually gave me a really good quote. She she knows how goal-focused I am. So she said to focus on the passions and and enjoy the the journey rather than the destination. And I think that's been really sage advice, especially in technology where things are rapidly changing and you're never going to be bored. So it just, they feel like it satisfies a lot of like that intellectual curiosity and that endeavor of knowing that you're never going to know everything, but that's okay.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's like, it's one of these things, right? Like I I won't, I'll never tell anyone how to live their life, but you know, for, for me personally, like I just wouldn't be able to do something I didn't enjoy all the time. So so my thing has been like, what are the things I enjoy? What are the things that are interesting to me? I'm going to do those things. And if I do those things as best as I can, there's a good chance that I'll probably do it better than most people that aren't super passionate about it. And I'll be able to make a living doing that. Right. Um, and so I, I had a mentor also, uh, Ashley, early on that told me the same thing. He's like, you know, don't don't chase the money. I actually was a dual major in college in finance and in computer graphics, and I was like a credit or two away from the finance thing and and decided just not to even finish it. But he told me also, like, you know, don't don't follow the money, follow what you're passionate about and the money will find you no problem. And so far, I mean, I'm not like balling out of control or anything, but, uh, you know, so far that's been true for me.
0: That's awesome. Um, I also think it's important for our listeners to know that if you don't have a mentor, find a mentor. It's good to have those, whether you're in high school and college or you know just a person in tech in general. I feel like it's good to have diverse perspectives and diverse outlooks. So it's a nice piece of advice there. Um, Jeremy, this is a good segue. What are your thoughts on the future of XR? So I want you to think maybe I would like to hear your thoughts on five years because I think the next five years is definitely going to be a huge pivotal point more so than it is now. For for XR, but also maybe what does that look like for you ten, fifteen years from now? So let's do a five and then a fifteen.
1: I I have no idea, Ashley. I don't know what I'm doing this weekend. You know, Christmas is coming <laughs> up, and <laughs> <laughs> here, here. I mean, let me just though dump some thoughts on you because I know that's what you want. So. Like, I think, you know, in five years, we're going to see pretty wide enterprise adoption of VR for training and for and not just for training, actually, but a variety of like business use cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more of this like human performance intelligence type stuff based on VR, um, also based on other types of uh, computer vision and, and monitoring of humans doing jobs. 15 years is way too far ahead for me to even try to think about. I don't even know. Um, I think you'll start seeing a lot more AR. You know, when we talk about augmented reality, you know, you hear about like the Air Force and and DOD buying like all the HoloLenses and things like that. And Mm -hmm. if you've ever used Magic Leap or HoloLens, I mean, they're both, they're all really cool. Um, But but that's, it's probably, that's probably the 15 year thing. I don't know if it's, it's hard to say though. I mean, that shit could hit, sorry, language. That,
0: (laughs) that stuff
1: could hit in five years also you know I mean it's moving along really quickly and people are building some really cool stuff I think like for things like that to really hit like you have to start to standardize them right and I think that's the big challenge with AR that's why we didn't that's why we've built some AR projects this year actually but we don't advertise that we're doing them because Mm -hmm. it's we don't want to get overwhelmed with AR stuff Um, there's a lot of standardization and just uh that needs to happen i think before all of that becomes um measurable and and a lot more easy for for big companies to adopt so i think i mean as it relates to xr and xr global our company and stuff like that i mean i think like larger adoption of the vr stuff uh across enterprises for sure going to be happening in the next really in the next two to five years
0: Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we're starting to see more quality research coming out for, you know, improving spatial cognition on tasks and um, the benefits, the tangible benefits of training in in VR and XR. So I think that will help that, you know, mass adoption more so than it is now. But I mean, with COVID, it's really accelerated a lot of stuff because companies have been forced to adapt and, and, and engage in different industries that are otherwise kind of Left with their doors closed, so I think XR can definitely help enterprise and education and a lot of other fields.
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy how much you're seeing. Like, I mean, I remember going on road show. Road, I call them a road show. It's probably not a road show by most people's standard, but you know, I remember like going around in 2012 to 2016, like really trying so hard to preach how awesome augmented reality is. And now, I mean, you go to any Fortune 500 website and they're talking about how they're doing AR, AI, machine learning, VR, you know, whatever, all these like buzzwords. Buzzwords. This is crazy to me seeing all that.
0: <laughs> it is. It, it is crazy. Um, and it's interesting because there's different levels of threshold in in using that term. And I'm sure you've seen this across industries where they'll say that they they use XR but they or AR, VR, but it's like. The tiniest, tiniest amount, but they will definitely advertise it on their website.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so Jeremy, what kind of advice would you have for those listening that maybe want to learn more about XR and potentially pursue a career in the field? So like, where can they find you? Where can they find your your work, your stuff? Um, go ahead and feel free to to um, put out your handles or whatever here.
1: Yeah, sure. Um... So, well, let me start with the advice and then you can, I can share like contact info, I guess. Um, You know, a lot of the guys we hire here are either they're in one of two camps or sometimes they're in the middle and and those are always good people too. People that can kind of uh, let, let the two sides communicate, right? Um, It's really people that are either computer science focused that are developers or, um, you know, we do a lot of work inside Unity, which is a, is a game engine that's, um, You know, it was originally, like I said, coming out 2008, 2009, um, people were building games for the PC, then it became like the platform for building mobile games. And now it's becoming, and now it's definitely the platform for for XR. Um, So we hire a lot of Unity developers. So, you know, if you're, I don't know how much you should focus on trying to learn AR, VR, as much as you should try to focus on becoming a strong Unity or Unreal developer. That's probably more important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can kind of teach you the human-centered design philosophies and all of those interaction models and things like that that make AR and VR unique. But if you don't know how to develop in Unity, then you're not going to be super useful as a developer, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, yeah. or if you don't know how to write code or whatever it is, right? For sure. Um, and so the same is true, I think, with uh, on the art side, everything we build in, in AR or VR You know, someone has to build that content and those models and those textures or those GUIs or whatever those things are. Um, And so ultimately, that's another another path that people typically will take, which is more of the art side. Um, And so that's really, though, learning programs like Maya, um, you know, uh, Substance and things like that that allow you to actually build that content uh, and and hand it off to a Unity developer to then do something with. So whenever, you know, I was on, on the board of a college that did like one of the first AR programs back in like 2016, I think, or something. And they had a four-year AR, VR degree or something. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what that was is it's a, it's a game developer degree with a couple classes in, you know, human-centered design and understanding interaction models for VR and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so really that, it, learn game design, learn the, the content creation side, and then you can get into ARVR VR pretty, pretty quickly, I think.
0: Yeah, they, they kind of go hand in hand with one another for learning from that foundation. And I feel like there are a lot of freely available resources, both on Unity. I know Blender is a great open source tool to learn from with a lot of great resources out there and Maya. So there's a place to start, so you don't necessarily have to um, find a certain institution, but it is a plus if, if your institution does offer that degree program
1: I, I've been joking with all of my my team at several at all the last companies for the last however many years that you know they always get these big dual triple monitor setups and one monitor is dedicated to Stack Overflow and Google and them searching how to do their job. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's like they don't really, there's, you know, you get in here and, um, you know, that's probably a good skill to have is knowing how to Google things correctly. Um, <laughs> because a lot of what you're doing is, you know, it's probably pretty new. No one, not a lot of people have done it, but someone's probably asked the question. I was like, hey, how would I do this? And how would I, um, so.
0: I like that. I find myself many times trying to, to refine what it is I'm asking in terms of like technology of, of am I asking this question right? But you're right. It's. It's always a good skill to have to to Google it. That's something they told us at Apple. Don't be afraid to Google it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Jeremy, this has been a great conversation. And I feel like I've learned a lot um, and I, I'm sure our audience has as well. So do you have any websites or go ahead and um, tell us where we can find you in work, the work that you're working on currently?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter is probably a good place to see some links. I think there's probably some links in the bio. Um, and so that's at Prof Konisky, P-R-O-F underscore Konisky, K-E-N-I-S-K-Y. Um, I created that Twitter handle when I was teaching full time at a university. So um, hence the Prof. Um, and then you can follow our our XRG stuff at XRGlobalServices.com. And that's where we're building all of our VR training and uh, yeah, VR, really VR training and enterprise um, stuff there.
0: Cool. Cool. Well, Jeremy, is there anything else you'd like to add? Any final words? Any parting quotes?
1: No, I don't think so. I appreciate you having me on the show. I think uh, I I don't know that I have anything profound otherwise to tell you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jeremy, and thanks for being on Coffee and Code.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Ashley.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode of Coffee and Code, head on over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated, and it helps other listeners find podcasts that might be interesting to them. I'll actually be doing a giveaway at the end of 2020, and anyone who has submitted a rate or review will be automatically entered to win. Stay tuned for more details and thank you for listening to Coffee and Code.